All right, I want to deliver a message this morning entitled Stress. No one feels that, do they, Sam? You don't ever feel stress, do you? No, no, no. Stress, or you call it um, reducing stress and tension in your life, or um, how to take care of stress and tension in your life, or you could just call it help. <laughs> Anybody ever been stressed out? Raise your hand. You ever been stressed out? Awesome. I think I stressed the team out this morning when I came up and says, uh, "Can I play piano with you guys?" And uh, anyway, I want to talk to you about stress, how to reduce stress, how to how to handle stress. Uh, in your life. I think all of us have to deal with that. And probably as we enter into the holiday season, which is right around the corner, maybe more so um, at this time of year. So, But I, my text is taken from Proverbs chapter 15. If you have your Bibles, and you should, uh, turn to Proverbs chapter 15, page 796 in your Bible. All right, come on now. Excellent. All right, here we go. Proverbs chapter 15. I'm going to start with verse 13. And I'm going to read a few verses here. I don't know if I'll go all the way to 25, but I'll get close. Starting with verse 13. A merry heart makes a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart the spirit is broken. The heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouth of fools feeds on foolishness. All of the days of of the afflicted are evil, but he who is of a merry heart has a continual feast. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with trouble. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fatted calf with hatred. A wrathful man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger allays contention. The way of the lazy man is like a hedge of thorns, but the way of the upright is a highway. A wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish man despises his mother. Folly is joy to him who is destitute of discernment, but a man of understanding walks uprightly. Without counsel, plans go awry, but in the multitude of counselors, they are established. A man has joy by the answer of his mouth, and a word spoken in due season, how good it is. The way of life winds upward for the wise that he may turn away from hell below. Father, I pray that you'll just use the words that uh, you've, you've given me, and, and, and so use me as your vessel to communicate that which you want the people to hear. I also pray, Lord, that, um, that our ears be open to hear, each one of us individually, to receive from you our daily bread today, that which you have for us. And some of us may be sitting here and say, Lord, I don't want the crumbs from the table. I want the whole loaf. So feed me, Lord, what you want me to be fed. So let our ears be open to hear. Let our minds be uh, open to understand by the power of the Holy Spirit and also by your great Holy Spirit. May our hearts be open to receive absolutely everything that you would speak to us today. In Jesus' name and all the church said, 
Now, I don't know if you noted that as I read through that, there were a lot of negative words that were in there as well. In verse uh, 13, the word sorrow, that's a, you know, a negative word. Verse 15, the word afflicted. Verse 16, the word trouble. Verse 17, the word hatred. Verse 18, the word strife. Verse 22, the word disappointed. But what's interesting is that if you, if you look this up in the thesaurus, all of these are synonyms for the word stress and tension. So you could conceivably go right in there and, and read, for example, a merry heart is, makes a cheerful countenance, but by stress and tension, the heart of the heart, the spirit is broken. And you could read all the way through there because those are all synonyms of that word. And they kind of represent what happens sometimes when the, st- the string just gets wound a little too tight. If you're a guitar player, you know what it's like to put on a new set of strings and, and you're winding them up and you just kind of turn away. You, you ever done that? You're like, I was getting up there, you know, wondering how much further it'll go, especially if you're doing any type of detuning on the guitar. But uh, it can get too tight, the string gets too tight, and then snap, it breaks. And uh, of course, I know that not at this church, no one's ever broken. No one's ever wound up so tight that you're creaking and just at that point of breaking, you know, because this is perfect church after all. Right, yeah. Somebody should have said, oh, me. There's no perfect churches. That's why you got in, praise God, and why I got in, too. That's how I got in. Um, So, yeah, that guitar string can snap just a little bit too tight, or you're blowing up a balloon, and you just think, you know, I think it'll handle one more breath. You know, it's already, you know, out there, one more breath, and maybe it can take a little more. Maybe it can't take a little more. Maybe it's gotten as much as it can get, but that one last wind or that one last breath is just enough to make, hi, sweetheart. I'm sorry, I'm more attracted to my granddaughter than I am the rest of you. Thanks, sweetheart. She's smiling at me now. This is, just, this is not going to be easy. So, you know, you take all that into effect, but we live in stressful times. I mean, my goodness gracious, I don't even really, in, in the political scene, I don't even look forward to 2020. I mean, it's just going to be just a mess. You know, and, and in the pastorate and what I do, almost every, every day I hear about another family, another marriage, another home where the, the string is snapped, where the balloon is popped because stress went a little bit too far. For example, did you know that an act of domestic violence is committed every 15 seconds in America? Did you you know that one in four marriages, violence occurs at least occasionally? Wow. Sad. Everybody says sad. 20% of all murders take place within the family. Of those, 13% are are committed against the spouse. You know, we used to say, it's a jungle out there. We probably could say, no, it's a jungle in here. 
Because if you think about that, one in four. Now, I don't want you to do any counting. One, two, three, four. Okay, apparently you. One, no, don't. You can't work out that kind of math. <laughs> it won't work out for you. Um, stress is, is like sand in the gears. It's like sand in the machinery. Things which ought to be running smooth, things which ought to be running efficiently, instead slowly grind away. And uh, I think that uh, this is a message that should speak to every one of us because we've all been there. So then it becomes, so then how do I reduce stress and how do I reduce tension? Because stress and tension is a part of life and living, without a shadow of a doubt. Uh, It's just a matter of how we handle it or what we do to try to counteract the stress uh, in our life. I know what stress is like. I know the health... uh, uh, disadvantages that come from being too stressed out. Uh, it was, I don't know, remember a number of weeks ago, I was having some chest pain, and, and uh, I had it for a couple of days, and I made a promise to Diane. I said, if it hits me one more time, I'll go to the doctor, because I was also having some indigestion and heartburn. It was been a month or so ago or something. And so I come to the office, and uh, I have a really sharp pain in my chest. And then all I can think about was, I promised Diane. And so I took off toward the VA about a mile out of town. I went, I don't think I'm going to wait to go to the VA. I think I'll go on over to Alma. And I did. And it was just angina, which uh, I asked the lady. I said, uh, that was uh, my doctor. I said, uh, well, what causes angina? She said, well, quite frankly, two of two things. One would be some type of arterial disease, and the other would be stress. And I went, boy, I got a lot of that in my life right now. Apparently, I wasn't handling the stress very well. I wasn't doing anything to reduce the stress. So we all have it. We all need to listen to it when it comes to hit us, and we all need to do something about it to counteract it. And to change it. And so I want to give you a couple things today that you can do to uh, reduce stress. And I personally have had a lot of stress lately. And, and, and I, I, hate to, I hate to admit this, but it's, it's come from working in my shop. You know, I, Diane, get, <laughs> Diane laughs, you know. I, I, I wanted to build this Etsy woodworking business. Uh, Etsy is an online store. And, you know, I had big dreams about building this Etsy woodworking business, and, uh, and I make rocking horses and other things, and, and anyway, um, don't go to my site, which is called RJL Wood Creations, but <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, one morning, like three o'clock or four o'clock, my phone beeps, and I went, that's an unusual notification, and, and I looked at it, and it was an Etsy notification that someone had bought one of the rocking horses. Well, I thought, that's weird. Four o'clock in the morning? This is a scam. Then it said paid, paid, paid the entire amount. And I had, you know, six weeks to deliver. I didn't even cut the first piece of wood. And and that was all good. I could I so I was just a little stressed by the just a little stressed by the fact that now I was building something, not because I just wanted to casually build something, but I was under a deadline, Sam to get something built and to have no problems with it. That was, by the way, the horse whose foot broke off. (laughs) Apparently, it was a little stressed, too. So eight days later, uh, my phone made that weird notification again. 
and somebody else bought a rocking horse. Now I got two rocking horses, and Diane will will tell you I was I had never been quite that I don't know that I've ever been quite that stressed. It, somehow it kind of got a hold of me and just stressed me out a little bit, and uh, and I was glad to to have shipped one. Praise God! But then I was stressed about the shipping, you know. You know, and then I was even more stressed when UPS decided to charge me more after I'd shipped it. So, you know. So anyway, my point being is that in real life, everyday life, I'm I'm also I'm not a I'm not immune to this. We all deal with it in one in one way or another. Can you say Amen? So the first thing you got to learn to do, and this is number one on your paper, is you got to learn to laugh. <laughs> you got to learn to laugh. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 13 says, A merry heart makes a cheerful countenance, uh, but a, by sorrow of the heart the spirit is broken. By stress and tension the spirit is broken, but a merry heart. How about Proverbs 17, 22? A merry heart does good, are you ready? Like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. T- uh, uh, stress and tension dries you up. And yet laughter, a merry heart, is, is scripturally like it's medicinal. It's like, man, you wish you could get a prescription to go to the pharmacy and get laughter. Well, it's called another drug, but you can't have that. So, <laughs> The happy medicine. But what is a broken spirit? You see, when, when a spirit is broken, it means that you've lost your zeal, you've lost your purpose, you can't seem to find your enthusiasm, and every now and again this little bird called tempted to give up flies over. Okay? I remember when that horse's foot broke, uh, which you, if, you, if there was a, a stress therm- thermometer... Uh, and my stress was already at 86 degrees. When that horse's foot broke, I mean, I almost shot the top off of that thermometer. And, uh, you know, and, and I didn't know, am I supposed to just give up on this? Or is there some way for me to embrace the mistake and find a way to fix it? And I'm glad I chose uh, door number two. But when you get stressed like that and, and you feel almost some brokenness in, in terms of life and what it's bringing you, you know, you'll lose your zeal. It was like a couple days. I didn't even, I didn't, I don't ever want to see a rocking horse again as long as I live kind of thing, you know. And of course, then Diane says, well, you didn't repost it, did you? And I went, yeah, I reposted it again on Etsy. And so, uh, I, I know, and then so one day I'm sitting in my recliner, this is a number of days later, and my phone makes that nightmare notification again. And I was so stressed about the home thing, I mean, I just jolted, because I looked over and it said, Etsy sale. No, it wasn't actually a sale, somebody had decided to favorite one of the horses. My point being, I was so stressed and tense about that whole thing that I, even notifications on my phone made me pee my pants. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Not really, but just wanted to clear that up so that you didn't think I had a, you know, was, hope he's wearing his Depends today. But laughter, laughter is a gift that God has given us to be able to laugh, and it releases tension 
Uh, I mean, even medical science has proven that when you laugh, chemicals and enzymes are released in the brain, which are are extremely important not just to reducing stress and tension, but it's extremely important for all the other vital organs that are in our body. That when we laugh, I want you to think, and I want some of you to question yourself, when's the last time you had a good belly laugh? I mean, you laughed till you cried. If It's been a long time, and if you can't remember the last time you had a good belly laugh till you cried, then maybe you're, a little, you're getting wound just a little too tight. A little too tight. Um, this is a, a, an excerpt from an arc article. In a, uh, it's from a secular magazine called Executive Digest, and here's what it says. Scientists have been studying the effects of laughter on human beings and have found, among other things, that laughter has a profound and instantaneous effect on virtually every organ in the human body. Wow. Laughter reduces unhealthy tensions and relaxes the tissues as well as exercising the most vital organs. Laughter, even when forced, results in beneficial effect on both of us, both mentally and physically. There's no need to be preach if I don't give you some practical application and practice. So look at your neighbor. Just start laughing. <laughs> Some of you ought to go. <laughs> I can't even express how much tension has just been released from the room. And I gave each of you an extra year on your life just now. So, so the next time stress builds up, and we, you know, listen, if you keep your eyes on it, you can tell when the balloon's getting just a little too much air in it. You can tell. Don't put another breath in that balloon or let's let a little air out of that. You can tell. But if you begin to sense that it's building up, indulge in, in some laughter. Indulge in some laughter. Diane and I love to uh, watch sitcom TV shows, and we got a few that we really like a lot. And and we'll just out and out just have belly laughs and laugh at what's going on there. And, and sometimes we laugh at each other. She laughs at me more than I laugh at her because I want to live safely all the days of my life. But we, we laugh a lot. I mean, after 32 years of marriage, we can still make each other laugh. And I mean giggle laugh. Uh, and, and just, I mean, hearty, hearty laughter. Um, and our grandkids, of course, uh, Liam always keeps us laughing. That's an, an amazing thing about that wonderful little guy. Uh, I've never met anybody quite as tough as he is, and he'll, he'll, he'll fall off a, a six-foot wall onto his head, and the first words out of his mouth when he pops up, I'm all right. <laughs> I'm okay. Make us laugh. And they, Right. <laughs> she says, yeah, I think he's kind of funny too. Uh, number two on your paper, a home that is filled with laughter is a home that's filled with love. When there's laughter, there may be some of you that may look back on your childhood or whatever and, and maybe you can't remember a lot of laughter in your home. It was always a tense 
stressful, maybe fearful environment. But three things that we ought to give our, our kids is life, love, and laughter. Give them life, give them love, and make them laugh. We loved making our girls laugh, and we found lots of different ways to. I should say I probably got more uh, joy out of it than, than they ever did. <laughs> you know, for example, I remember the first time we went on an airplane, and Erica was sitting next to me, and really serious as we were heading down the runway, I said, okay, now, just need you to know that as soon as the wheels leave the ground, your head will explode. That's still funny. That's <laughs> still funny. Yeah. Or, you know, Diane and I took the door off her bedroom because she wouldn't clean up her bedroom. Emily was perfect. She never did anything wrong. So. <laughs> yeah, and so, yeah, Eric, we couldn't wait for Erica to get home because we put her door out in the garage. And uh, she came in and said, where's my door? And Diane and I had to turn. We could not stop laughing. We were laughing our heads off. We were getting ready to correct our daughter, and we couldn't keep from cracking a smile. And uh, so laughter is a good thing. You know, three, three rules you ought to have in your home. Learn to laugh. Don't, think, don't take things so seriously. Lighten up. Lighten up a little bit. And... Uh, so, yeah, we, we kidded around an awful lot in our home and uh, lots of laughter. So, number two is uh, cultivate contentment. Work on being content. Proverbs chapter 15, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with trouble. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fatted calf with hatred. And uh, a dinner with herbs is not talking about the vegetarian. The herbs were bitter herbs, bitter herbs. Now, I understand that contentment can be relative to the person. For example, uh, the person who has a vegetable, vegetarian plate and, you know, they eat no meat versus the person who uh, has a choice between that or the New York strip or the filet mignon. Come on, somebody. So one person can be completely contented with the vegetable plate, and the other person is more contented with... So contentment is relative to one's personality. Yeah, I get that part. Um, here's a couple of illustrations, for example. A dad pulls up to a, a little frame house. It's just a little thing, and, and he, has, he pulls up in an old, old car, and the, the kids run out to meet him. He enters the house, and... He smells the aroma of fried chicken and okra and, and mashed potatoes and gravy. And there's no tablecloth. Uh, there's no placemats. Place uh, um, there's no china. Just a bunch of mismatched dishes that probably are chipped here and there. And dad reaches out and takes the hand of each one of his family members and begins to thank God for their love and their food. And they dig in. It's a happy family. Here's the contrast of that. Uh, in, in another setting, it's a mansion with great big white columns out front. And Dad races in in his BMW, gets out and kicks the cat out of the way. No one comes out to meet him because, you know, they're all in their rooms watching their own personal TVs or playing on their Xbox or, or playing on their device, FaceTiming, tweeting, whatever else 
that they're doing. And when it's time to eat, they all come to the formal dining room, you know, where there's china and crystal and linen napkins and everything. And the servants bring out the appetizers and the soup and the salad and the entree. And dad eats as fast as he can because he's still totally involved in what's going on at work and he's still got to get some business done. And mom's got a face like a hatchet because she is certain that he's messing around with that little honey at the office. And the kids are kind of surly and rebellious teenagers and they got nothing to say unless it's sarcasm and, and, and something, you know, cutting. And they're, and they're doing all that while still glued to their cell phones at the dinner table, completely detached completely disengaged. And so, I mean, which one of these homes would you like to have? I mean, the first one or the second? The first one, it wasn't much, but there was love and laughter and happiness. The other one had much, and there was nothing in that respect. Number four on your paper, if you want a happy home, you have to cultivate contentment. You have to cultivate contentment. I think if I failed my kids in any way at all, it would have been probably, by and large, getting them everything they ever wanted. Your car at 16, I mean, pretty much just set it all out to them, you know. Uh, And maybe I should have made them work harder for some of their stuff. See, my little granddaughter agrees with absolutely everything that, I, that, that I'm saying, you know, I mean, I'm not saying that my daughters don't appreciate, uh, you know, what mom and dad have done, but I will say that it took them a few years, uh, of maybe even into adulthood, to finally really appreciate, you know, the sacrifices that mom and dad did, you know, uh, and so kind of, I think Diane and I have talked about that a few times, maybe we should have been a little less generous with all that we that had, and we didn't have much, I will say that, but we wanted our kids to have uh, as much as we could possibly give them. But you have to cultivate being content. Whether you're, you know, it's all right, baby. I got her all riled up. Hey. Hey, baby. Hey, baby. So anyway, um, let's see right there. So, you know, you got to be willing to live within your means. And I don't think, you know, Diane and I didn't do that uh, a lot of times just to try to give our kids everything that we could give our kids. And, you know, and financial stress, when you live above your means, financial stress sets in. Is there anybody here at all who would say, who would agree? Raise a hand. Financial stress. Okay, see? And it'll steal your laughter. It'll steal your contentment. Uh, It'll turn into fussing and fighting. And everybody was kung fu fighting. So, you know, we don't even need to get on the, the treadmill of materialism. We need to stay off of that because, quite frankly, it doesn't take you anywhere, you know, if we only had bigger houses, if we only had nicer cars, if we only had, if we only had, if we only had, and, you know, if you're not happy with the little that you have right now, you won't be happy 
when you have a lot of everything either because it has nothing to do with what you have. Although my last few minutes have been the happiest moments <laughs> other than seeing Diane. Philippians 4 verse 11, not that I was ever in need for I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. See, you have to, it has to be cultivated. It doesn't just happen. It says, I've learned to be content with whatever I have. You know, Diane doesn't understand how I can be completely, utterly, blissfully content with a, pam, with a can of Spam and American cheese. Can I get a witness from anybody? Amen. Right, right on, right on, right on. I mean, just totally contented, you know. And she would never even touch the American cheese. As far as she's concerned, it's just plastic. <laughs> and spam is something else, yeah. So, you know, contentment's relative. <laughs> Amen. Praise God. Yeah. Yeah, don't buy me like a case of spam for my birthday. I mean, I like it, but not, not quite that much. First uh, Timothy 6, 8, having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. You know, Diane changed me in that respect. I could go buy a pair of tennis shoes from Kmart for eleven ninety five and and wear them until they would, the only thing holding them on my feet was the strings. And she changed me in that respect, so now i got to get some shoes that will last for a while, you know. But Hebrews 13, 5, let your conduct be without covetousness. Well, there's a word we use every day, isn't it? Covetousness means uh, unbridled desire. Desire for things you don't currently have. And an what's another word for that? Anybody? Greed. Did somebody say greed? Yeah, greed, lust. Uh, so let your conduct be without greed, without lust. Be content with such things as you have. I mean, we all want better things, and I, I still am expecting and believing for better things. I remember when I got the truck that I have now, it's 2015, you know, Ram, and I said to Diane, probably shortly, I don't think I'd had it a year yet, when I said, you know, I, this the next one I have is going to have this and this and this and this. And you know what my wife said to me? This is the last one you're ever getting. I, I cast the demon out of you, is no. <laughs> She told me the other day, if you want to sell your truck, go ahead and sell it. We'll go get you a new one. So uh, the point being, um, you know, we always, all of us want more. But we have to be content with what we have before we reach out for more. Does that make sense to you? Uh, Luke 12, 15, this is the words of Jesus. Beware, guard against every kind of greed, because life is not measured in how much you own. Amen? Now, I know my timer is already at a negative one. You know, just shut that thing off, because I'm not quitting. It's only 10 after 11. How many of y'all will give me five more minutes? Let me see. Five, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 30. No, it won't take me long, just to... A couple of minutes to, to finish up, but I'm kind of, I'm not very stressed. I'm just kind of relaxed, and I haven't taken any happy meds. Praise God. It's all good and copacetic. Life is not measured in how much you own, and based on the previous scriptures that I just read, I think it's clear 
that we need to learn how to be content in whatever place or state that uh, you're at, whatever it is. So learn to laugh, cultivate contentment. Number three, alleviate anger. Ooh. Ooh. I wanna, I, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to be straight up. How many of, uh, of you have or currently still um, have difficulty managing anger? Okay. Boy, Diane can tell you, you know, that I was a person filled with rage for a lot of years. I mean, rage would fly up out of me and I'd destroy stuff. Um, I don't have that problem anymore, praise God. We have to learn, but, you know, that, that doesn't mean things don't rise up that want to trigger that old thing. Are you following me? I, need, I don't need to give you witness and testimony about my, the things I've done and whatever else as it relates to anger. But just to relate to you that, you know, we, we all deal with anger, but some of us have a hard time managing it when it, when it goes beyond the, the breaking point. And when it goes beyond the breaking point, I would think that probably 100% of, uh, of us who have gone past the breaking point would say that what has happened after that wasn't good. And you wished it hadn't. You wish you could only take it back, whether it be something you said or something you did or, or whatever. Can I get a witness from somebody? So, you know, we have, we have to learn to laugh. We have to cultivate contentment, and we have to alleviate anger. Uh, you know, just because I no longer have fits of rage does not mean that anger does not come back and try to overwhelm me in any given situation. And I have to take control of that. And I have to alleviate the anger, not the person that's causing me to be angry. Okay? Proverbs 15, 18, a hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient or who does not have stress, who controls their stress, controls their tension, calms a quarrel. Proverbs 14, 17, a quick-tempered man, we'll just say person, a quick because there's ladies that also have anger management problems. Come on, somebody. A quick-tempered person acts foolishly. The problem is, 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 for many of us is that we put our mouth in gear before we put our brains in gear. And then we've gone past the point of no return a lot of those times. Proverbs 18, 13, he who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. You know, and Diane and I, I wish I, I don't have time to tell you all the things that Diane and I have learned over the years to, to stop anger from happening. And I think, I think she'd probably agree there's a lot of times that she doesn't say what's on her mind and there's times that I don't say what's on my mind. And that isn't about hiding anything. It's just about if I say what's on my mind, it's only going to be to win something. It's going to be selfish advantage to do it, right? Which goes against the grain of Christianity as well. So there are probably plenty of times that if Diane and I ever got angry enough with each other, we could both probably go down a list of things that, that we, there, there were times that we had something to say and wish we had. But for the better part of wisdom, realize it would be of no advantage whatsoever to have said any of those things. Can I get a witness from somebody? You know, is this just that church where everybody likes to spit off whatever junk comes into their mind? Just boom! You know what Pastor Barkley calls that, right? 
this vomit, you know, people vomiting on you. I don't know about you, but if Diane starts vomiting on me, I'm not going to stand face to face with her. I'm getting out of the way, right? So you don't need to do that. So one of the clear ways to control your anger is to control your mouth, (laughs) is what I'm saying, because your mouth will only escalate the problem. Number six on your paper, I haven't left any out so far. Number six, nothing will reduce stress and tension in the home like getting control of your words. And I, I, I think, Diane, I think that probably both of us could say that we don't necessarily live a stress-free life or a tension-free life, but in our relationship, there's still occasionally some stress and some tension. But I can tell you what, we have, we have um, counteracted that by learning to control our mouth. To control, you know, if there's something important that has to be said, we're both in agreement with each other, let's say it. Don't hide anything. Don't hold anything back. If we need to say something, let's have that open honesty with each other. But also to recognize internally, is it really worth what good does it do for me to correct her? Or what good does it do for her to correct me in that situation? What is gained? You following? Anybody? Am I being too personal with you all? All right, thank you. I wish somebody would say amen. Or, all right, you don't start saying amen, I'll preach all afternoon. <laughs> so when you're mad and angry and upset and those times will occur, occur, you know, just keep your mouth shut. Just, that's not hiding and tucking away things. There's times that we need to talk. But there's a difference between conversation, talking, and fighting and, and hurling verbal bombs. You know, get a witness. Um, It's in the heart of the moment, in the heat of the moment. That's when you need to learn to control what you have to say. And you might say, well, I can't control what I have to say in the heat of the moment. In the heat of the moment, I can't control that. Well, I think that's just a bunch of hooey. Because, you know, you can be fighting, you can be in the middle of an argument with your spouse, I mean, just hollering and screaming, and the phone rings, and you pick up your phone and go, hello? Right? I mean, you just said a bunch of stuff to your spouse at a, at a tone of voice that no one wants to hear the phone ring. You're like, hey, what's up? Or on the way to church. You know that part, right? Hollering and screaming at each other. And glory to God, you get in here, hallelujah. So you can control it. You can. You can control it. Um, so we need to learn to laugh, we need to learn to cultivate contentment, we need to learn to alleviate anger, and finally, everybody say finally, this is why I, did, I wanted to go over just a couple minutes, because I knew I was that close to finishing this message anyway. We've got to walk in wisdom. This is number seven on your paper. Walk in wisdom. I think a part of that's what I was just saying about Diane and I taking the time personally to think about how important is it that I say what's in my mind right now. That's wisdom when you say, you know, it's not important to say that right now. In fact, right now is the worst possible moment to say that. And if there ever comes a time to say it, fine. If there's not, it's not worth keeping. I hope I'm helping you all today. Walk in wisdom. Proverbs 15, 33, the fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom. 
the Bible teaches us that God is not the author of confusion. He's, he's not the author of chaos. If you have chaos and confusion in your home, can I help you with something? It's a good chance God's not at the center of what's going on right now. You've replaced it with something else. If your home is characterized by confusion, understand that God is not in that confusion or the cause of that confusion. Strife and tension result, why? When there's confusion. A lot of times, strife and tension happen because there is chaos. And maybe that's happened because we haven't made God the center of our life, the center of our home. He's the center of our church experience. He's the center of our Sunday, center of our Sunday church experience. But then in the privacy of our homes, he's not sometimes maybe not the center of life because in the privacy of our homes, we might say things that we would never say at the house of God or do things that we would never do at the house of God. And the greatest house of God that you have is the one you live in, not the one you attend once a week. Sure is quiet in this Holy Ghost church. So when there's confusion, when you're not on the same page, strife and tension show up, and the result you know, is not harmony, it's not peace. The result is division, strife, tension, and stress. And problems arise on a daily basis. They arise on a daily basis, and that's normal. I'm not saying there's anything abnormal about stress and tension, but learning to, to detect it and do something about it. You know, it's normal to have stress and tension, but wisdom begs us to start attacking that problem together in unity and to stop attacking one another. Because I can tell you right now, Diane is not my enemy. All right, on the, 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 the devil is my enemy, the accuser of the brother, the one who wants to make me revert back to the old angry Rick, the rage-filled Rick. All right? And I'm so thankful that you all have not, have never had to meet that guy. And so what do we do? Well, it's in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. I'm going to kind of paraphrase it um, for sake of time. I'm going to get you out of here by 1130. Uh, he who hears these words, uh, Jesus would say, he who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is a wise person who builds his house on the rock. And the winds of life come and the rains of life come and the storms of life come and they blow against that house and that house stands because it's built on the rock. However, he who hears the same exact words and chooses not to put them into practice is a fool who builds their house on the sand because the same winds as previously still come, same storms, same rain, same rain still come, and that house falls. And, and I believe in most translations, Jesus puts an exclamation on it and says, and it falls with a great crash. It was a great fall. So what do we need to do? We need to listen to the words of God, and we need to do what he teaches us to do. Number eight on your paper, if you'll build on the rock... When the winds of stress blow and the waves of tension roll in, your house will be able to weather the storm. Still got to go through the storm. That's life. That's just life, y'all. You know, I mean, God could not have done any more perfect of a job 
in putting Diane and I together being so completely different from each other. Okay? You know, it's kind of the, it's kind of the, the thing, you know, no one wants to marry themselves because you couldn't stand being with yourself, you know. So he always he puts differences. Isn't that amazing? He puts differences together and then he gives you a lifetime of working out those differences and being one. And if you'll do if you'll do it God's way, you'll get God's results. If you'll do it your way, you get your results and I've said it if I've said it once here, I've said it a thousand times. When you do things your way and you get your results, usually those results aren't good. Can you say amen? amen? So that's walking in wisdom. That's when you can build something beautiful together and you build it on the foundation of Christ. And if your salvation is more than just an experience that you had or fire insurance or some tradition that you have, if there's any depth to your salvation at all, then on top of that rock and on that salvation, you can build the walls of worship and, and, and you can have the framework of prayer and Bible study and you can install the windows of church attendance and all those things and you can paint the interior with peace and carpet the floors with contentment and build a great kitchen of kindness and stock the shelves well uh, in the pantry of forgiveness, amen. And be sure to create an environment where the whole family can lather up and bathe in laughter and have a good time with each other. So learn to laugh, learn to cultivate contentment, learn to alleviate anger, and learn to walk in wisdom, and I wonder if you can believe that and receive it this morning, would you give the Lord a praise in the house of God? Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. God is good. Isn't he good? All the time. And all the time? Amen. Father, I pray now that you would just touch each of our hearts. In those areas of our life, Lord, where we have chosen to be sour and grumpy and not laugh, and may, may we change that. And Lord, if, if, if any of us can say, boy, it's, I can't even remember the last time I had a good belly laugh and it just made me cry, oh, I pray that that'll happen for them. Just a big laugh. For, thank you for the, the supernatural medicine that laughter is. Help us, God, to be content. Quit being greedy and selfish. Just need more. I think that you've brought me to a place in my life where I can laugh and it's real and I can be content with what I have and even content when I don't have. Thank you, Lord, that you brought me to a place of being able to alleviate anger, and I speak that now over every person within earshot of my voice, that they can learn how to alleviate anger and not let that create stress and tension and chaos and confusion in the home, because in confusion and chaos, you are not in the heart of it. Help us to walk in wisdom. Forgive me, Lord, for quoting Kenny Rogers, but to know when to hold them and to know when to fold them. It's true. 
Everybody's thinking, man, that preacher prays weird prayers. They're just from my heart. And I pray that each of you go home now and think about this stuff. So many times altar calls are set up to give people a response, a chance of response. And I think sometimes altar calls are done out of habit and ceremony. I don't want to do an altar call today. I just, that's how I feel right at this moment because this isn't uh, an altar call to, pr- to prove your response to my message. This is something you need to go home and walk out. Because what I've given you today is truth. Period. Learn to laugh. Cultivate contentment. Alleviate anger. And walk in wisdom. Amen. God bless you.